Praise the Lord. We are going through Mark, chapter, Gospel of Mark. Now I'm in chapter 8. As I read, I will stop and give some comments as the Lord leads. I might refer to some other verses. Verse, chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and said unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way. For divers of them came from far. Now look at that point. The Lord said he had compassion on the multitude. So the Lord has taught us that it is the compassion that is love. The Bible says faith cometh by love. Faith walketh by love, not coming. Faith walketh by love. So for our faith to walk, to do miracles and something like that, we must have love for the people we are trying to pray for. Compassion is love. Compassion for the sick. Compassion for the, their situation. And this is what the Lord said here. I have compassion on the multitude. Why? Because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. See, and if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, but divers of them came from far. Now, when you say three days, was that a camp meeting kind of a thing? Because they were in the desert area also. So in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples. So what will make them to be there three days? Maybe the camp meeting like a mountain. In our own case, we will call people to a camp meeting also. And many people, when they come for camp meeting, mostly families, families, they will bring some food. But if they are not sure how long they are going to be there, they may bring some food just for the lunch and then they kept staying there until three days. Wow! Some of them will perhaps go and try to find some food if they have children with them. But see, he knew that they have run out of food anyway. So the Lord said, I have compassion for them. So we need that compassion. And this compassion is what is going to use to make the multiplication of bread that is going to be reported in this chapter 8. Verse 4 says, And his disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy this man with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have he? And they said, Seven. Now, this is the second time that the Lord will multiply bread. The first time it was five loaves and two fishes. This time it's seven loaves. Two times. He did it in his ministry. So they said, seven, Verse 6 said, And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000 and he sent them away. So seven baskets, 4,000 people. Seven baskets, seven baskets left over. The other time it was 5,000 people and 12 baskets left over. So the Lord 
shown to us that he multiplied bread out of compassion. Verse 10. Straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanuta. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. Now in another place he said, he told them that the only sign they will get is the sign of the of Jonah. The sign of Jonah, that as Jonah was three days in the belly of the sea, the son of man will be three days and three nights in the depth of the earth, which was prophesying of his burial and the rise of the third day. He said that will be the sign they will get, but see, look, that will be too late. No, it's not too late. He was telling that it was that sign that will make those who are going to believe after they saw that he resurrected, they will, they will believe. Others who will not believe will not believe anyway. Now he went for line. Let's go on to verse 13. And he left them and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And they charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. They were thinking physical. Christ was giving them parable. And when Jesus knew it, he said unto them, Why reason ye? Because ye have no bread. Perceive ye not yet, when neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve baskets. And, he went, and when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took he up? And he said, Seven baskets. He said to them, How is it that you do not understand? So the was saying that I'm not talking of physical bread when I say, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Herod. Leaven is what they use to make flour rice when they are making bread. So when they heard about leaven of bread, they thought he's talking about bread again. And they said, well, we didn't bring bread this time again also. And he said, I'm not talking about physical bread. Leaven also is used as to symbolize impurities. Something that is defiling you. Or false doctrine. False ideas. So it's leaven. So he said, beware of the false ideas or the questioning that the Pharisees are questioning. That we make people say, oh, well, unless I see something, I don't believe. That's, that's leaven. And that's what he said, beware of that type of uh, mindset. So I'm not talking about bread, I'm talking about the infiltration of evil thoughts, idea that we come to the mind, want to say, well, the Pharisees say we want to see science, unless we see science, we can't believe. So that will be a level. False idea, false ideology, false doctrine. Verse 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. Now, this is another case of healing the blind person, and you see that the method he used to heal this one is different from the method he used to heal the deaf man, different as the, as the spirit leads. Verse 23 says, And he touched the blind man by the, he took the blind man by the hand. Verse 23 again. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. That's strange. Somebody was brought to him, a blind person, to heal him. 
and the Lord took the blind person by the hand and led him out of town. We don't know how large that town is. It's not like a big city, but whatever town it is, there's so many minutes of walking to go back out of the town because he is in the center of the town. So he has to walk all the way, take the man out of the town for what purpose? Because the Spirit leads him to do it that way. That's another way we can say it. Took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw hot. The Lord did do this spit upon the eyes of the man and laid his hand upon the man. And the man looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And he couldn't distinguish whether it's men or trees. They are just some things moving. So which means the eyes are not clear, clear yet. After that, verse 25 said, after that, he put his hands up again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. So the, the wisdom behind it was that the Lord has come to that place before his, this substance and all that they are not believing in that town. So he wants this man not to go and give his testimony in that town. He says, just go home. From here, just go to where you come from. Because these people are not believing. He doesn't want them to to cast some 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 dust into what he the miracle that boy just did. You know, that man just got. Verse 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias. Others, one of the prophets. The Lord Jesus Christ wanted to find out what the disciples know and how they are thinking. And from what other people are saying, what they are thinking about him also. Verse 29. But he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Because if these people are saying you are, it must be Elias. It must be one of the prophets that have died. As we again, you want to find out whether they actually know what they are, whom they are following. Say, whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered, said unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he showed them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Now, uh, this is how Mark reported it in the other gospel, where Mark, Mark, Luke and Matthew, when they are reporting this episode, they are saying, Jesus Christ told Peter that thou art Peter, my father has revealed this to you. Flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my father has revealed it to you. But upon this rock I will build my church. But Mark didn't report this that we just said, where he started telling them that the Son of Man must be crucified, killed. Now, verse 32. Is where he said Peter responded, and he spoke that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Now, this episode, the way Mark reported it, was not detailed like in the other gospel where he said. After Peter has confessed that you are the Christ and he just gave a, a, a praise to Peter, the devil must have been the one that sneaked behind Peter 
when the Lord started telling them about he will be crucified, he will be killed, and you thought right after the, the devil put in the mouth of Peter and said, No, that will not happen to you. It's almost like well, Peter, Peter was trying to say, What I have received, you are the Messiah. No, that you should happen to the Messiah. Don't begin to talk negative like that. So, which is like trying to correct the, 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 the master. And that's why I say Peter rebuked him. Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And I'm saying, Oh, that's your rebuke. When somebody tells you something that's going to happen, you will say, No, don't talk negative. That's rebuke. Talk positive of yourself. You may think you are, you don't know why, why you are saying that, but it was the devil that was saying it through the mouth of Peter. And the Lord recognized designing of spirits is very important. Designing of spirits. Otherwise, you'll be beating about the bush, fighting the physical person. The Lord quickly recognized who was speaking, not Peter, but Satan has borrowed the mouth of Peter and just poked this thing out. Without even Peter thinking about it, it could come out. And the Lord looked around, he said, if he looked, he turned about and looked on his disciples. He first looked and said, where is this coming from? And then he recognized who is speaking. He said, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. He's not talking about Peter, but he's facing Peter, you see? Because that's where Satan was hiding behind, behind Peter. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. So whoever, wherever Satan is hiding behind Peter, Talking through the mouth of Peter, he's the one he's talking, he's, talking, he's facing Peter and saying, Get it behind me, Satan, not Peter, Satan. And that will make the devil run off. And that's another lesson which you learn that we shouldn't be respecting of it because sometimes we respect, we respect the man that is facing us and we don't want to say what we should say. Christ didn't respect Peter, they is saying it to Satan, looking at Peter, but it's not Peter is seeing, he's seeing Satan that is talking and telling Satan to come out of that, get out of there. He didn't even say come out, he said get deep behind me Satan. Because Satan doesn't have to be in the, in the inside Peter to say those things. He just borrow the mouth. The devil can use the mouth of people without getting inside them. And that's why we have to control our mouth and don't let any... He said let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Sometimes that mouth can speak through some demons that just use the mouth without them even getting to the man. See, how is that possible? That is spiritual things. And that's why the devil was using there and the Lord recognized what who was speaking and go, told Satan to get behind him. He didn't say come out of that. He didn't say Satan come out of Peter. No, he's not in Peter. He just borrowed his mouth and speak through the mouth. That should make you wonder what is human nature. Our body is, is, a, is like a coat that we are wearing. Our spirit is inside us. But if somebody else can put something into the mouth, they can do it. Some spirit can do that. That's why the Lord recognized who was speaking and rebuked the and rebuked Satan. The Bible says he rebuked Peter, but he so he spoke to Satan. Also. But 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, also he said unto them, Now this that he is saying unto them here is rebuking everybody to know that don't be proud of, don't be full of yourself. You must deny yourself to follow Christ. Because Peter will have said, Well, ye, I am the best here. That's why I can say this now. You know, you, are, you deny yourself. Don't think you are the biggest person or the oldest person. You are the smartest person. You have to deny yourself and be humble here. And then the devil will not be able to even use you easily. Whosoever will come after me. That's the Lord talking to every one of his disciples now. Every one of us too. Anyone that will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. 
But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now that message is for every one of us, not only for the apostles then, because he said he called the disciples unto himself and all the people and told them this, anyone that will come after me should deny himself. Deny yourself means don't try to say you are anybody. He said, well, gee, I'm very well known, I'm a reputable person, I'm the synagogue leader. You deny yourself, you are nobody, just humble yourself before Christ. Deny yourself, don't try to be anybody, don't try to be somebody. That's what I mean, deny yourself means. Be humble enough to come and learn. Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross means it's a death sentence. You are going to be facing Satan and the satanic forces. And they are ready to kill. And we are ready, we are actually on a death sentence. So we are not afraid to lay our life down. That's what it means, take up your cross and follow me. Because he's going to carry, he was... He carried a cross and he was crucified on that cross. And if anyone that is going to follow him, you carry the cross also already. A cross is where the Roman Empire crucified criminals. So when he used the word, take up your cross and follow me, they understood that he's saying this is like fighting, like a death sentence. It's what I call it. It's like a death sentence. Knowing that the Roman will take people to carry their cross when they are already condemned to death. So following Christ is like a death sentence. Because you are going against Satan and his courts that are ruling the world right now. He but deny yourself. Don't be afraid of laying down your life. That's what he said. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. If you're trying to save your life, no, I don't want to die. Say, you will lose it. But when you say, I'm ready to die, then the devil is afraid of you even. And God is going to be able to protect you. When we are ready to lay down everything for Christ. Say, whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall save it. So what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and try to save yourself and that you lose your soul and go to hell? You don't gain anything. The most important priority is to save your soul, not go to hell, not go to lake of fire. Even if you die in this world, don't be afraid of man that can kill the physical body and they can't do to anything to your soul. But fear him, God, who is able to not only kill the physical, throw the soul into the hell or lake of fire or hell. So that is what we want to fear. And if we are fearing only God, then we are not afraid of devil that can only kill the body. When when we are was for Christ, we are not afraid of the police or the governor or the people that can kill even the Islamic jihadists that want to kill. When we know that they can only kill the body, our soul is with Christ, and we are going to paradise. And we are going to be resurrected in the last day to live with Christ for a thousand years. And those people that crucified and persecuted the believers, they are going to be in the lake of fire in the end. So fear them not, is by what the Lord is saying. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my word in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He's saying, don't deny Christ. We are not going to deny Christ. We are going to stand the test even in the face of the sword, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of extreme jihadists that want to kill Christians. Even in the face of the mark of the beast that said, unless you buy, unless you take this mark and, and sell yourself to Satan, you cannot buy yourself. We are ready to stand and stand and confess Christ at the end. If we die, we shall be resurrected very soon. 
If we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. What the Bible said. And he's able to keep us and save us to the uttermost. That he can say, this one, nobody can kill him and nobody will be able to kill this one. He has done it before. He's able to do it again and again. And we are to, to, to lay our life down. For he said, Christ has actually abolished death. He has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. But we must not be afraid to lay down everything for him. And then he will use his power as he wills to save us from any type of thing. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego confessed. He said, Our God is able to save us from fire. Oh, no big deal. But even if he chooses not to, we are not going to bow to idols. That means you are ready to die. And then God showed up, even in the fire. So we are to stand for Jesus also in these last days. And when we stand, he shall stand with us. And he is able to save us to the uttermost. God bless you. We continue in the next chapter, which is chapter 9.